Yo, and welcome into week four of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring back again for another week of SEC action on their gridiron. And man, this one feels good. You know why it feels good? Well, because we're talking college football, but also you're hearing us right now on SEC Radio, channel 374 over on Sirius XM, along with our YouTube channel on Apple, on Spotify, a lot of different ways to pregame there, Christopher Paul Doring. Hey, you know why else it sounds good? Because we are not having to commiserate like we did after week one. Our alma <laughs> maters were amongst the best-looking teams in the SEC in week three, so we get a chance to puff the chest out. I, for one, have not been able to puff my chest out. As a Florida Gator, it's been few and far between for a long time now, so I'm going to uh, I'm gonna take this chance to to celebrate Florida's victory, and even more so, celebrate what I felt like I was right on point about when it came to to looking at that game. Oh, coming out with an attaboy for himself right I'm, out of I'm the pat, gate. I'm, I'm hurting my shoulder right now with all the pats on the back <laughs> I'm giving myself. I was right on with how I looked at the LSU-Mississippi State game, mm -hmm. some of the deficiencies on the offensive line for Mississippi State that I thought LSU's front seven would be able to take advantage of, which they did. Some of the inconsistencies with Tennessee's offense that continued to to, to hold them back and, um, you know, feeling, feeling good about at least for one week, what I'm starting to figure out about the sec. It does feel better. The sec has a better feel to it. There's some teams and you mentioned a couple that feel like they're heading in the right direction and let's don't wait any longer here. Every single week on pre-gaming the sec, we have a hold my beer. Now the hold of the beer, as we say every week, it can be good. It can be bad. It can be a little indifferent. And we explain ourselves every single week. Well, this is a good hold my beer for my entry into this segment this week, and that is Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors, the LSU tandem. Oh, my gosh, how efficient was that in Starkville? And Jaden Daniels, 30 of 34, two touchdowns, 361 yards through the air, 15 carries for 64 yards, added two more scores on the ground. Malik Neighbors. 13 catches, 239 yards, two scores himself. And if he plays that entire game, who knows what that number gets up to. So you think you had a good offensive performance? Well, Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, they said, hold my beer. We're going to go on the road, 11 a.m. kickoff. We don't want to hear about a sleepy performance by us going out there this week. That was impressive. Can they parlay that now? Because they were not on the same page in yeah. week number one. We talked about it here on the podcast. If those two guys get on the same page, they don't even have to have it to the extent they had it in Starkville. But if they do get on the same page, look out Arkansas, look at Ole Miss, Mizzou, some of these teams coming up on LSU schedule. Yeah, I thought Jaden Daniels was fantastic from the outset. I mean, it, it, taking what the defense was giving him early on, you know, there were a number of different times where he was able to move the chains with some short throws, bought some time with his legs. Then they started to hit some, field, some shots down the field on some double moves. I thought one of his best throws was standing in there on a blitz on third down, a guy yeah. coming free right down uh, the through the A-gap and just buys a little bit of time, fires one over the middle to move the move the chains beyond the line to gain. Um, but, yeah, he was fantastic in, in second half just using his legs the way that he did to to uh, evade the rush and, and turn a sack into a, a big gain, how he's able to navigate some of the, the zone read stuff they use was great. But Big Turp, you know, I, I like accountability, and certainly we're going to have some accountability later in the show when we get to our our uh, take it to the bank for the uh, reviews. Oof. But on on SEC uh, this morning, the simulcast that we do on the SEC network on Friday, we did future headlines, and I was bummed out on Monday 
We didn't go back to the future headlines, uh, Hess. But one mm. of the things I said in future headlines, I tried to come up with something like real catchy for the, the headlines that we put together for LSU and Mr. Rogers and the whole Will Rogers thing. Like I said, uh, Starkville is Malik's neighbor's hood. And, <laughs> and I, I kind of predicted he was going to have a big game. But I don't even think in my wildest yeah. dreams I could have thought of a guy having 10 for like 188 in the first half alone, man. It was impressive. Yeah, they tried time and time again to single cover Malik neighbors. He made them pay. And remember, Florida State was daring LSU to do that. Quarterback, receiver, not on the same page. They've yeah. learned from that. Now you got to put it together for two weeks. Two yeah. weeks has to turn into three weeks, four weeks, and so on and so forth. And so we'll see if they can get that done. But Mr. Doring, where are you passing that beer to? Well, you know, you were the positive guy. I'm going to go the opposite uh -oh. end of the spectrum. And last year, last week in uh, the, the pre-gaming, the SEC uh, episode, was that episode three last week, I think? Or, yeah, that's how it yeah. works. One, two, uh, three, yeah. and four. Yep. Three. Yep, yep. Yep. So episode three, <laughs> I was, uh, my ire was aimed squarely at the, the, the secondary of, of Texas A&M. It was embarrassing the way that they went about not only covering guys in the past game, but tackling them after the reception was made uh, was very uh, upset with the, 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 what they put on film I, in terms of embarrassment. I'm going to, I'm going to look at Alabama's offensive line. You you thought the secondary's performance was embarrassing. Hold my beer. Cause we're going to go out here and show you some embarrassing performances. And I think what made it more embarrassing for me Hess, was that, yeah, they were bad against Texas, but maybe we could at least justify it because they were playing Texas. A lot mm -hmm. of the, the top tier players in the country, you know, what they've been able to do to, to build that defensive line. But you go to Tampa and against South Florida, a team that what they win last year, one or two games last year. I believe I mean, it was, was one that? game. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a singular game. Yeah, it, that they were able to not only have five sacks, second game in a row that Alabama's offensive line has given up five sacks, but even on plays where the quarterbacks were getting the ball off, they were getting hit in the face, hit in the, in the chest. And so I, I just, you know, they, I don't know if they can find a solution to the, the woes that, that have been kind of haunting them the last couple of weeks. But that was an embarrassment, what Alabama's offensive line put on tape. So uh, hold my beer to those guys. If you thought Texas A&M secondary was bad, uh, we'll one-up you with what we did on, on Saturday against USF. Yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it as you were talking, CD. Now, this is a little bit better than it was against Texas. But to your point, South Florida, not the opponent that Texas was of the – Five starting offensive linemen. Only one had a passing grade in overall production in yes. this matchup. And Let me ask the, you this. The, the passing grade, by the way, was 66.6. .6, so yeah. barely. Well, give me give me what the left side, give me left tackle and left guard what their individual grades for. Because I can tell you the left guards probably were the lowest of anybody's on that on that line. Uh left tackle, you had 50.8% was the grade. Uh left guard, you had 62%. Hmm. Okay. All right. So yeah, but regardless, though, it was bad <laughs> and, and certainly not what we came to expect, not what we were being sold in the preseason. Remember how vocal members of that offensive line were about how much better that group was going to be this year and how they were out to 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 with a chip on their shoulder to to, to change the narrative about the line. They've taken a step backwards, if anything, in 2023. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think so. And, and players that we thought would be all-conference, maybe even all-American type players. Yeah. I mean, you look at the center position, that was somebody that we thought highly of, and that's two weeks in a row he's graded below 60% in Seth uh, McLaughlin. That, that's, just, that's just not where we had him. I mean, no. I, 
JC Latham, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at it, 66%. Like, that's a player I think a lot of. I think he's a Sunday player. They're just not getting it done right now. He, yeah. he was the one pa- – he was actually the one passing grade as I sit here and I look at him. Yeah, I mean, that, that's – But still, that's like, barely passing. High. No, it's not. So – that's a group that I expected more out of. And I think down the road, they could continue to try to get better. But I thought they'd be, from the very onset, they would be a group that Alabama could count on. And the blame's always going to go to the quarterback position. But when Ty Simpson came in there, I give him credit for playing as well as he did because he was taking free shots. Yeah. Like guys not even getting a hand on the yeah. defender and taking a shot in the back. And what, did you see one of the one of the rushes? I believe it was Simpson. Uh, the left tackle actually threw the rusher into his legs from the backside. So I mean, it, it, they are not they're not helping out their quarterbacks. And if anything, you know, doing damage. And and I think that's again part of the reason why you see Jalen Milrow being named as the starter heading into the Ole Miss game. All right, that's going to be uh, the beers that we pass out here for this week. But as we always do, before we pregame, we review here on pregaming the SEC. But I also want to remind you about our friends over at Blue Delta Jeans. Go to the website, bluedeltajeans.com. Your pants, your pattern, they're going to come in and they're going to make sure they fit. Even somebody built like me that CD will point out at time to time here on this podcast. It's okay. Yes. Yes. They will find a pair of jeans to fit you. In fact, I've got two pair of blue delta jeans. Don't they just sew them up for you? Like perfectly like exactly. Yeah. They'll find the person to come measure you laugh at your measurements and then they get them (laughs) out and they make sure that they are comfortable. All right. Let's see if we remember the tagline. Nothing feels as good as custom fits. Boom. There you go. Your boy Peter Burns actually showed off some of the uh, the the golf pants that the U.S. golf team will be wearing, uh, courtesy of our, of our friends over did. Blue Delta. Of yeah. course, Peter Burns is the one. It's all about Blue Delta's the star. Peter Burns is just trying to hold on to the star. There you uh, go. BlueDeltaJeans.com hey, is the website. Our guy Peter Burns is going to make a trip, evidently, to check out the folks in their home stadium there, the backyard of. Uh, of Blue Delta in Oxford, Mississippi for your LSU Tigers traveling to uh, to Ole Miss there in two weeks. Yeah, and I might have to find my way to that game as well, trying to effort that as we speak. All right, as we do, we go from hold my beer to last call. And a lot of times last call will go a little bit all over the place, but here I want to know what the major last call, the one that you want to go back, CD, and you got to say, hey, you know what? Of all the situations we have play out, in the SEC this week. I'm going to talk about this one. And since I know what yours is going to be, (laughs) stop it. Let me go ahead and get mine out of the way. And that is the biggest win of any SEC team so far. The Missouri Tigers 30, Kansas State, the 15th ranked Kansas State, the defending Big 12 champion Kansas State 27. This was the game last year that Mizzou lost 42 to 10. You and I caught up with drink at the Senior Bowl, at spring meetings, at media days, every time we sat down and had a conversation with him, he found a way to bring this game up. This game meant something to him. They were embarrassed last year how it turned out. Kansas State ran all over them. Missouri couldn't run the football, and this one meant something. And my gosh, Brady Cook, have your day. You get booed to start the game, and then by the end of the game, you throw for 356 and two touchdowns. Blake Baker and that defense found a way to stop Kansas State just enough to get a victory there. This one is massive, and I do mean massive, for Eli Drinkwitz, our guy, and this program 
beating a team that embarrassed you a year ago. What a home victory for the Mizzou Tigers. Yeah, great win for the Tigers. And and you mentioned the chip on the shoulder that they've had for 365 days to to kind of wipe away the embarrassment at the hands of, of the Wildcats last year in Manhattan. So they were highly motivated. I thought the thing that I liked the most was their resiliency. Uh, right off the bat, a fluky touchdown that Kansas State's able to catch off, off a deflection. Uh, doesn't doesn't get the, uh, the the folks from Missouri down. They go back down the field and score. Uh, at, at, at multiple times, they had leads that they gave up, found themselves trailing, and put together a, a touchdown drive that took two plays, I think, one to uh, Schrader and, and the other to Burden to get back in the end zone to knock things up. And then the, the long kick. After a five-yard delay of game penalty, our guy Drink got bailed out by Harrison Mevis knocking down a, a 60 plus yard or two uh, to win it as time expired. Uh, but I want to go back to something you said, you know, about Brady cook and him getting booed in the pregame and, and the, the, the comments that that drink made afterwards. Remember when we were young, it was like, don't, yeah, don't boo the, don't boo the college kids. They, they're they not professionals. They don't get paid for it. Yeah. You know, you can boo the NFL guys. Now that there's NIL stuff, are you, is it more acceptable to boo college players? Are you allowed to do that now? Um, I think you can do whatever you want. I mean, you're paying to get into the game. Tickets aren't cheap anymore. Now, I'm not a fan of booing your own players, but yeah, we see it all the time. Are you like a fan you, of like t calling for firings of your coach? Like that? That's what I think. Fans now mistake yeah. their their entitlement. Like they like your job as a fan is to support your team, not call for firings and undermine you know the culture there yeah. and create controversy like i think so many fans want to including hey, by booing your starting quarterback maybe the booing was something that led to him having such a massive day i don't know you and i both like to play with chips on our shoulders i don't know yeah. that it did i can't tell you what to do again you paid money to get into the game i don't think it's something that i would ever do i'm not going to go out there and boo a player that plays for my team but hey also great point by you now you're making some money <laughs> maybe yeah. it's more because in the nfl oh man you, if you go out there and like don't convert like one third down, you get the boo birds in the NFL. Yeah, I guess you can't since it's not technically. I'm I'm doing air quotes for those listening. Pay for play, they're not really getting paid to to play football, so you can't really boo them. But uh, we all know, wink, wink, what what's going on behind the scenes. My uh, look back, uh, I'm going squarely to the swamp. You know, the, the the swamp on Saturday night was the swamp of old. You played in the swamp back when it yep. was the swamp. At least for one night, they were able to regain the magic. It was loud. It was intimidating. Caused five false start penalties in the first half alone. Forced uh, Tennessee to use two timeouts on the first drive of the second half that would have come in handy late in the game. Uh, a j offside penalty on fourth and short uh, that allows Florida to, to basically run the clock out. It was nice to see the home field advantage as a, a guy that, that grew up going to those games in the Swamp. But the thing that had me the most excited, Hess, I got to be honest with you, was the defense. The defense was a liability last year. They didn't have the players that they needed to compete in the SEC. They didn't have a lot of smart players and guys making mistakes on third down. I mean, no bigger illustration of that than last year on third and long over and over again against your LSU Tigers that Jaden Daniels and company were able to, to uh, convert. This year, they had a great game plan that Austin Armstrong put together. You know, one of the biggest things about playing Tennessee with the way that they spread the field is being able to tackle in space. And I thought Florida did a great job of tackling for the track, tackling the football in space. And then when they didn't rallying to the football guys playing fast, playing their assignments with great soundness, they got beat a couple times on some, some plays, but that's what happens yeah. when you're, you're playing in the sec, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some.
but the majority of the 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 check marks went to the guys in blue on the Florida defense and I think they set a tone for the rest of the year about what they what they're going to be capable of you look yeah. at number one in total defense in the SEC right now the Florida Gators it's been a while since we've seen them atop that that category you live there in Gainesville your boots on the ground reporting here there was some pressure after the Utah game, after the way that game went and kind of the expectation coming into this year, it already created some pressure. What did this win do for the, you know, for the Florida Gators, for that coaching staff, for the players there in Gainesville? Was there a little bit of a deep breath this week? Yeah, I think there was some, uh, a deep breath. I think it was also clearly the marquee win for Billy Napier and his, his staff since coming to Gainesville the beginning of last season. Um, I think it was also important, not only just that Florida won, it was not a fluky victory. It was one that Florida, you know, even the first drive, they go down the field, stall, try to kick a field goal, kick the ground instead and have some issues. But, um, they, they, they were the dominant team, seven of eight on third down conversions on offense Yeah, and the football at will, the offensive line opened up that were as big as the ones. Tennessee wasn't real interested in tackling them in the second level, which is troublesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we we put a lot of credence into that Virginia game in the opener of what we thought, mm-hmm. you know, Tennessee's improvement was on defense, what they were going to be able to do to run the football. You know, Florida owned both lines of scrimmage, which was something that, um, you know, I was concerned wouldn't be the case as a former Florida guy. But I, I think, um, you know, when you, you go back and, and, and look at um, the way that they won the game, they were sloppy as hell out in Salt Lake City in week one, made a ton of mistakes, self-inflicted wounds. They cleaned up their performance in this one. And I said on our show on Monday on the SEC Network, you set the bar high. You know, this is what you're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. You don't have the ability to go backwards from here. And I think what we talk about, you know, whether it's LSU's performance against Mississippi State, whether it was Missouri's win over K-State, some teams have shown what they're capable of. And mm-hmm you have to put that same representation on film every single week. Florida last year had their two biggest wins of the season, Texas A&M and South Carolina in back-to-back weeks, and then proceeded to go lose to Vanderbilt the very next week and Florida state to finish the season. You don't have the ability to go backwards now. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think you got to really build off this. When you look at their opponent this week, obviously they're going to be a four touchdown favorite against Charlotte and you got to go out there and you got to take care of business and you need it to look good. You need it to look like a continued well-oiled machine that can build off Tennessee, do what you're supposed to do against Charlotte as you get ready for the thick of your SEC schedule. So that is a good last call. Before we get to this week's guest here on pre-gaming the SEC. I want to tell you about Richards Honda. Go to richardshonda.com. They've got something for every lifestyle, no matter what you have. If you've got five children like me and you want to get in that Odyssey minivan, they've got you covered. But if you need a sedan, a hybrid, whatever it might be, multiple midsize SUVs, Richards Honda, richardshonda.com is the place to go right now. You can have a chat with them right there on the website. Any question, concern you might have, they can answer that on the website, richardshonda.com home of the warm and fuzzy feeling. All right, very excited for this week's guest on pre-gaming the SEC. It's a guy that I know very well. It's one of my favorite human beings in this entire world, and he's always 31831 great. That is my man, Ben Mintz. You probably know him as Mincy from Barstool Sports. Mincy, man, I am so glad to have you here on the podcast. Glad to have you back with Barstool in Chicago, living the dream, my man. You deserve everything, so I'm glad Everything right now is going back in that same direction. Glad to have you on the podcast. 
Man, love the positive energy. Excited to be on here. Congrats to y'all. Uh, get this podcast picked up and uh, excited, man. What a weekend we have in college football, nationally, SEC. We got six ranked matchups. What could be better? Minty, I'll tell you this, man. I um, We've focused on this. We've done this podcast for three years. We've had uh, Shepard Smith joined us for the Alabama Ole Miss game. That didn't turn out very well. Uh, so we're, we're there's a lot of pressure <laughs> on you as an Ole Miss guy to get this thing done. But before we do that, I, I want to go into – uh, the first time I ever met you, man, we were at SEC championship game, I think last year. And uh, you were you were trying to break a time in the 40 there at SEC Fan Fest. I don't think we broke the time, but uh, that was uh, the first time you met Mincy was I the 40 Mincy. yard dash. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. It was rough. Uh, I was I was wearing my lovely Blue Delta jeans and they're comfortable jeans. Best <laughs> in the world. Maybe not the best for running the 40. So that's my excuse. It had nothing to do with the fact that I'm slow at all. Well, I, I was going to ask you, are we, are we, are we, are we going to make another run at it this year in Atlanta? Have you been if training? We at do, all? Uh, if we do, I'll be running a lot faster because I've uh, I've been running and lifting and I've dropped a bunch of weight here. So I'm feeling nice. Feeling yeah, good. Yeah. I actually think though that Atlanta falls on. Uh, I'm actually committed. I'm running the St. Jude half marathon in Memphis that morning. I'm gonna try to raise a bunch of money for uh, child cancer. All right, hold on now. So, what if Ole Miss makes it to their to the the, the SEC championship game, man? You will have already committed yourself to doing something charitable, and and you're gonna miss the uh, the run there in Atlanta. Man, uh, <laughs> you know, to be honest, I should have probably thought about that more, but you know. I, Gosh, I feel like I'm pretty all in on this half marathon now. I mean, but hey, I mean, don't you know, try to talk Mincy out of doing something for charity, CD. Well, what no, are you, you doing now? I bet I could figure it out where if the runs in the morning and they've yeah. got those Memphis to Atlanta quick flights, maybe I could do both. I'll tell you though, if yeah. if ever there was a year with the, the West being as open as it looks and Jackson Dart playing the way he's playing, I mean, this this has to feel like a, a little uh, season of optimism for the Rebs fans, right? Well, it does. Okay, so this week, getting into Bama, uh, some good injury news for Ole Miss. Ole Miss was playing without their top two receivers and tight end last week. Uh, they're getting to Corey Franklin. It's going to be his first game at Ole Miss. UT San Antonio transfer had 1,400 yards last year. He was a number five player in the transfer portal. This is his Ole Miss. He had an offseason surgery. This is his Ole Miss debut Saturday. Also getting Caden Priestcorn from Memphis to tight ends and finally healthy. And so, uh, you know, obviously love the good injury news going in. Uh, just as far as the game goes, look, I'm not saying – I usually run my mouth a lot. I'm not saying a word this week. Two years ago before at Bama, I had like a countdown to the game, all this stuff, and Bama came out in Tuscaloosa and just beat the dog crap out of Ole Miss from, from pillar to post. Uh, I feel like this whole narrative, everybody's putting Bama in their grave. I mean, I don't know. I'm not – you know, you're still going to Tuscaloosa. Ole Miss has still only won there twice in school history – I think Bama, the, the biggest thing that concerns me about this game is the matchup in the trenches. I don't know how good Ole Miss's run defense is yet because I don't know that you can really tell from Tulane or Georgia Tech or Mercer. And with Bama going with Milrow, the two years, they're going to just be physical. They're going to try to run downhill. And then Ole Miss's offensive line, has, the run blocking has been super shaky the last two weeks against Tulane and Georgia Tech. Quinchon Judkins hasn't been able to get it going. So I'm worried about the line of scrimmage stuff. I've concerns about the game. It's, it's let, there. Let, me, let me ask you a question real quick, Mincy, to, to, uh, going back to what you said two years ago when they were in Tuscaloosa and, and, and got beaten so badly. I almost felt like it was Lane that got the team beaten, though, rolling the dice as many times early in the game, going yeah. for all those fourth downs. I mean, I understand being aggressive, but to, to, to some degree, he was a little careless. I mean, what, what have you seen in the last couple of years in terms of his – evolution as a head coach and, and maybe understanding a little better when the risk to reward pays dividends 
I mean, he still goes for it most of the time. I mean, maybe not quite to the same <laughs> level, but it seems like he's just all about trying to get seven and being aggressive. And, you know, that up-tempo and putting pressure on defenses all the time. And I think in that game two years ago, you know, Bama had Bryce Young and a lot better offense. I think he thought, you know, we just got to score seven every time mm-hmm. we can on the road to have a chance. And I think we'll probably see a little different strategy this year because Bama's offense doesn't have as much firepower. How about Lane Kiffin talking of Lane Kiffin, the Ole Miss head coach, this week saying, you know what? I've worked with Kevin Steele. I've played against Kevin Steele many times. That is not his defense. That is T-Rob's defense, who's the corners coach there at Alabama. You know, the last thing that Coach Saban wanted to do, Mincy, was answer a question like this. And now it's not only a question, it's like the question. And I think Lane, as we all know, does a really good job of knowing exactly what to say to kind of maybe change the direction of a game. No, Lane loves to poke the bear, and, you know, Saban is such a type A, no-nonsense guy. Saban hates all this stuff. So, Lane, you know, loves the Twitter stuff, throwing curveballs, talking points and all that. I mean, he he really – he's one of the master trollers of our, of our oh, yeah. time. Because, like, I've met him, you know, a good few times now, and, like, he's real stoic. He don't say a lot, you know. He just loves, like, hiding behind the, the keyboard to where he doesn't have to actually deal with people, you know. He can just, like, tweet and so he doesn't have to talk. And, uh, man, he's he's so funny on there. I'm not surprised uh, he did that at all. What's interesting to me, Jacob, I think you could make an argument that Ole Miss's top three quarterbacks are better than all three on Alabama's roster. And that is a tribute to Lane. But, I mean, Walker Howard's yeah. Ole Miss's number three. He'd start at Mama right now. I mean, that, that's just a crazy world to me. Yeah. That's where we are. Uh, they have court, Yeah, they have quarterback issues for sure. I mean, you look across the SEC, and there's some backups to your point, Mincy. A couple at Ole Miss maybe that would be starters, like a Garrett Nussmeyer at LSU would probably be oh, yeah. a starter. I mean, last week the move to bench Milrow and to go with Tyler Buckner felt so panicky, and then it played out to be a panic move. And then Simpson comes in, he's okay, but South Florida is get, getting the best of Alabama up front, which is wild to say, but Ty Simpson took a lot of hits in that game. We didn't even see Jalen Milrow. Now they're going back to Jalen Milrow. It's like when you have a run of, of the quarterbacks they had with Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa and Mac Jones and Bryce Young, and then now you have the quarterback carousel, these Bama fans have to have some sense of, are we going to have enough? Like in this game, even being a seven-point favorite, are we going to have enough? Because – they don't have that guy right now, and they don't even have somebody that they feel comfortable uh, comfortable about, like, game to game. No, and also I think just the big thing is Saban just has lost so many coordinators through the years. And there comes a point when you're having to change offensive and defensive coordinators almost every single season. You know, now he brings in Tommy Reese from Notre Dame, who clearly is not comfortable coaching Milrow and that skill set. You know, he's, yeah. he brought Buckner, I guess, who was his guy. But, like, I feel like it's like a square peg round hole situation right now just because he's had to change so much. I mean, there's been so many through the years. One, one of the great dynamics of this matchup has to do with Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator for for the Rebs. Uh, you know, I think what we're seeing now, you know, the, the, the Bama fans were forever on, you know, Bill O'Brien and and on Pete Golding and blaming them for maybe not being up to, to where they needed to be. But, you know, with new coordinators at, at Alabama still seeing some of the issues, I mean, how, how have you seen Pete Golding's impact uh, on the defense there at Ole Miss? I think he's one of the best defensive minds in all of college football, just an incredibly you know, sharp dude to just talk to. Um, you've always wondered, like, hey, if they could get any semblance of a, a, a defense there at Ox- in Oxford to, to kind of complement what they do offensively, they got a chance to be really good. I mean, what have you seen from his fingerprint specifically on this program and the fact that he's going to 
really know a lot about you know this 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 offense that Alabama's going to roll roll out there, including some of the personnel that they'll be utilizing. Man, I've seen a lot for a couple of weeks because the big thing with these lane Ole Miss teams has been you see these fast starts and then they fade in the second half, which was a huge thing last year. And now with Pete Golding making defensive adjustments, that Tulane game, I mean, Tulane was up 17-10 at half. I went to New Orleans. Their backup quarterback was lighting Ole Miss up, wasn't getting touched in the first half. Golding went in there, made big adjustments, and just said we're about to blitz the crap out of this guy the whole second half and held Tulane to a field goal in the second half. And I thought – that was something making those second half adjustments you hadn't seen necessarily in the past. And I thought he did a good job at that. Even though, you know, Georgia Tech was only 10-3 at the half, they had three their first half, they had three long drives and only got three points. They're moving the ball. You know, I thought he did a good job again with that. And I think the other thing, man, Golding's an ace recruiter. He's killing the transfer portal and he's bringing in, you know, he's he's really bringing in some serious talent. So I think, you know, so far, uh gotta be thrilled with him. And last year, Chris Kiffin, Lane's brother, took the defensive coordinator job, left the Cleveland Browns D-line coaching job, came back for six weeks and said, the hell with this NIL world, the hell, I don't know if there's like a family thought. He left and Ole Miss had to promote Chris Partridge, who's a, you know, like a NIL guy, DB coach, you know, good guy, motivator, but maybe not ready for this coordinator. And so I think the upgrade from Partridge to him is, is maybe the biggest story so far this team. You know, Mincy, I know that you're trying to, you know, lightly step into this game, maybe not make as big of a deal as you've made in the past, but I'll do that for you. When I look at this line, I can't believe that Alabama is a full touchdown favorite. I just, I can't. I understand if it was a three-point spread because they're at home, they're Alabama. I realize who they are and the standard that they've been. But if you just watch the all 22 of both these teams, Ole Miss right now is the better team. And so I know you don't want to maybe – step out and step up and say a lot about this game, but what's a path for Ole Miss? Like if you said, okay, this has got to be the blueprint for them to go out there, be successful and beat Alabama. What do you think has to happen? Well, I like Ole Miss in seven. I wouldn't say I love it, but I do like it getting a full seven. Cause like you said, seven's a lot. I think the biggest thing in this game is when you look at how Alabama is designed as a team, they are not designed to play from behind this offense. I mean, they can run the ball, but Milrow is not a good thrower. If Ole Miss gets up 7-14-0 early and makes Bama have to throw it and takes that crowd out of it, I mean, I don't think they're designed to come back. I think Alabama, for them to win, they got to come out, you know, get the crowd involved early, run it down Ole Miss's throat, and play with the lead. I don't. I just don't think this team is designed to play from behind. And then I look at Ole Miss, man, Jackson Dart. So Ole Miss's quarterback depth, because they got Spencer Sanders and Howard behind them, Lane's running Dart like crazy. And it's like, great point. Yeah. It's really opening the, the offense, having Dart running. He had like 150 yards last week. And so, you know, because he, he has confidence in Sanders and Howard behind him, he, he really can open up that playbook. And so, Dart, you know, uh, he's throwing good deep balls and I think he's improving as a passer. But I think the, his factor with his legs is going to be huge for picking up some key third down conversions this game. You, you mentioned the uh, the history of this rivalry and, and the fact that they've only won there twice in, in the history of, of going to Tuscaloosa. Um, how much do you think the mental side of thing plays in there, the weight of that, you know, knowing the history? Or do you think that this year with so many vulnerabilities being shown, you know, on the on the Alabama side that maybe the mental advantage is is on Ole Miss's side as it relates to maybe a little blood in the water and being able to to feel more confident, almost like you know once Mike Tyson got beat or T- Tiger Woods lost to Y.E. Yang on a, a Sunday, th- those things showing that that guys are beatable, you know, can help maybe the mental side of things for Ole Miss. 
Yeah, and look, Ole Miss should have won this game last year. Uh, you know, this game in Oxford was right. It was the week after Alabama lost to LSU in that OT, uh, the you know, the OT thriller. Ole Miss dominated the first half, and right before the half, Zach Evans fumbled like inside Ole Miss's twenty, and Bama got kind of a cheap touchdown to cut it to seventeen fourteen before the half. And then Ole Miss, the game, like, Ole Miss lost by six and down on the Bama 15. So, I don't think Ole Miss is going to be scared of them. They could have won last year. Uh, and I think your point is right. It's like when you have someone that's so dominant, once they start falling, everybody wants to be, beat them, you know, because Bama's dominate forever. The only concern I have, though, is everybody's talking, you know, everybody's putting Bama in their grave this week. And, you know, I'm just not quite willing to, to go that far yet. All right, Mincy, I know you have a ton of different things going on, so not going to be able to be in Tuscaloosa watching the game, but I think you're going to maybe be at another SEC game. Yeah. But how are you taking in this game? I mean, is it going to be so much pressure where it's the only thing you can focus on? Are you going to try to maybe eye hustle it a little bit? How are you taking in Ole Miss, Alabama? I'm going to a humongous tailgate on your campus in Baton Rouge, uh, and they've got TVs there, and I'm going to watch it tailgating uh, – <laughs> in Baton Rouge, and I'm going to go to LSU, Arkansas, Saturday night. Uh, you know, I'm only in the South for about five, six more weeks, so I plan to enjoy football season, and I'm hitting Saints games, LSU, and, uh, you know, I hope to see you in Oxford next week for LSU Ole Miss, too. Yeah. I'm gonna, so I'll be at a tailgate in Baton Rouge, fired up, shoot some content, and then I'm going to go go see this LSU-Arkansas game that, you know, I feel like everybody's giving LSU the credit for the win already because that Arkansas lost at home to BYU last week. But, Jacob, you know very well – Arkansas always fights in Baton Rouge. Yep. It's one of those things where, I mean, I've seen LSU be a 24 and 30 point favorite this game go to the wire. So I, you know, I mean, I, I think LSU will win, but I don't know that they'll cover the 18 or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's a big number. And unfortunately, I've been on the other side of Arkansas coming in as an unranked team, being the number one team in the country and losing in triple overtime. Now, there's no Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, Peyton Hillis out there for Arkansas. But, yes, Mincy, I agree with you. That series, it's always wild. It doesn't matter. You and I growing up in Louisiana, like we saw this game when LSU was supposed to win by whatever the number was. Arkansas throws a Hail Mary one year, whatever it might be. So, yeah, 18, I'm staying far away from that number. One thing on Arkansas, though, and this is and you know, this is like a, it's similar with Coach O at LSU and Sam Pittman at Arkansas, and you got like a fiery players coach. It's like a line guy. The players mm-hmm. are like not a coordinator, though. You know, he doesn't run the offensive defense. Right. They lost Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom. I think the offense is fine. Yeah. I'm a Jefferson, but losing Barry Odom, he was an elite defensive coordinator. Their defense looked like crap last week against BYU, and I think their defense may have maybe fallen off a cliff a little bit this year. Hey, Mincy, before we let you go, man, I'd be remiss not to ask you about your personal life. You mentioned earlier the, the workouts and and some of the weight you've lost. And, and I'm interested about the last year, you know, the turmoil you've been through, the, the path that you've kind of traveled back to Barstool now, you know, what that's done to improve you as a, a person and and uh, maybe some of the, the loyalty that your coworkers there at, at Barstool have shown you. Yeah, it's, you know... <laughs> The funny, the ironic, the ironic thing about it is I'm not really a very controversial, you know, compared to Barstool, I'm one of, you'd think one of the least controversial people up here. I mean, I make a point to not curse on air and stuff. You know, our guys are so edgy. It was very ironic that I was the one that got the scandal of like all the employees at Barstool. You would have kind of like, if there were odds on that, I feel like I would have been on the low end. Um, Obviously, I mean, that was a wild thing to go through. 
you know, I, there's no no doubt about it. Uh, I, I like I had like the Monday morning when I slipped on air. I had like a near the first couple of hours. I mean, I was kind of almost panic attack level. I was that upset about it. Uh, I calmed down Monday afternoon. Even when they let me know I was getting let go Wednesday, I still was kind of at peace about it. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, Jacob will get that. I mean, I'm a Christian, and uh, I think that helped me a lot going through it because it's like God promises doesn't promise that you'll have no storms. He just promises peace in the storms, and I felt pretty peaceful even going through a national scandal. And it was interesting. I was like, man, I better get my poker game sharp because I used to be a professional poker player. I was like, because nobody's going to hire me for five years after this thing. And it actually ended up being kind of the opposite. I had a bunch of job offers because I think people gave my character the benefit of the doubt. And then anybody that saw the incident, you could see I was reading my you know, cell phone. There was no intent. And, you know, it really just makes me feel grateful all the support I got. I mean, I, you wouldn't believe how much support I got. And then Dave Portnoy, you know, rehiring me back a few weeks later for Brick Watch. And, you know, I ended up having this crazy summer where I played World Series of Poker and worked for Poker Go and, you know, it was all over the country. And, you know, I kind of, uh, I was spiraling. I'll, I will say this, I'll share this. In June in Vegas, I was spiraling a little bit. And I quit drinking like three and a half years ago. I didn't start mm-hmm. drinking again, but I was like hitting, I was like, I picked up a nicotine pen habit a little bit. And that's not something I was ever really into, but I guess it was like stress or something, but I was like hitting it all the time. And I wasn't eating healthy and I wasn't really exercising. And I like mentally, I was just like, I had no chance at the poker tables. I just mentally wasn't right. And then kind of in late June, I had one of those like life moments where I'm like, okay, enough of this BS. Like you've come so far in life. Like, what are you doing yourself? And, you know, I threw away the nicotine pen. I started on low carb diet in late June. And like now I'm on week 13, I've dropped 25 pounds. I mean, I'm lifting, I'm running 10 to 15 miles a week. I mean, I'm making like maybe one diet mistake a week. I'm just not eating sugar. And I mean, I'm 40. I feel like I'm anti-agent. I feel a hell of a lot better at 40 than I did at 35. And, and then, like, all this is going on. You know, I look up. I basically got paid by three companies this summer, make more money, drop 20 or 25 pounds, and then Dave yeah. gets barstool back and back. And so it's like to go through, like, I mean, it's a roller coaster you just can't even imagine, you know, just highs and lows. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know that I've ever been more encouraged than I am right now. So it's – uh That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's now, great, now man. Chicago, when you know you told me this two months ago, like I wasn't even with Barstool, and now you know I'm move, moving my life again. Yeah. But you know, Jacob, I don't have five kids and a wife at home, so <laughs> that was, uh, I feel like it, it seems like the right move uh, to to move. You know, with us building a new office and the, the remote thing for Barstool is kind of dead because now we don't have the pen properties, the Barstool Sportsbook app in yeah. Louisiana anymore. And for me, I mean, they didn't tell me I had to move, but like. Big Cat and our top guys were like, we want you here, like for your career, you want to do this. And if I'm hearing that from Big Cat, our CEO, Erica, and PFT and our top guys, like, I think it would be a very, very tough move not listen to them. Just my thoughts. All right. There he is, my guy, Ben Mintz, at Stool Mincy on Twitter. Give him a follow there. I promise you won't be disappointed. I have known Mincy for a long time since our humble beginnings doing local radio in Shreveport. Louisiana man he is a survivor he is dedicated to what he is doing he's loyal I can promise you that as well so uh Mincy we appreciate you hopping on with us brother it means a lot yeah thank you for having me and uh you know hope uh hope to see you in Oxford next week Jacob certainly be fun absolutely it would be and even more fun if LSU beats Arkansas and Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss beats oh. Alabama man that would be the ultimate I mean that might be a game day Type situation. Oh, so, beats Bama. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and LSU, LSU, Ole Miss. I'll just show it. Like, 
Look, the Egg Bowl in the state of Mississippi, I mean, the hatred is it's epic. But, like, I'm a Louisiana guy. LSU Ole Miss is always yeah. my favorite game of the year. It's like it, I feel like 80% of the people I'm close with in the world are either associated with either school. And so, you know, that LSU weekend's like no matter what, it's always my favorite weekend of the year. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would not hate if that was a game in which both teams were coming off a win. I mean, I'm again, that could be like a college game day type situation. Minty, we appreciate it, brother. All right. Thank y'all. All right. Now we're finally at the time where we're pre-gaming the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC, where we look at the week four slate and all across college football. We've got some great matchups, but here within the SEC, we have matchups that are going to tell a story and let's go over those matchups now. And to do so, we bring in our guy, Big Terp, Big Terp, where do you want to start? I mean, a lot to choose from. A lot to choose from, and uh, we're going to get into all of the big ones. Bama, Ole Miss, Auburn, A&M, LSU, Arkansas. But before we do that, I, I want a real quick rapid fire. Give me a sentence, a yes or a no. Are you expecting any sort of letdown for Charlotte or for Florida hosting Charlotte? Or they're a 28-point favorite. Any sort of letdown or no? I'm I pointing could, firmly at you, Christopher Doring. I could see that happen. I could see, you know, that there's been – and the inconsistencies in in Florida's play last year, uh, I would like to think that's not the case. That's part of being a great team is learning how to play to a level of your own expectation instead of the level of the opponent on the other sideline. But I'm not ready to commit to that yet, Hess. I don't think they. I mean, I don't think they struggle. I mean, it's a four touchdown spread. If they win by twenty one or twenty four, sure, why not? It's all about how it looks. I don't really care about the final score. How does it look? Are you still running the ball? Are you still playing that style of defense? And so for me, I think they actually take care of business. If they don't cover the 28, okay, whatever. If it's 21 points, but it looks like it's supposed to, we're good. I'll say this, though. The one thing I'm excited about uh, in that not having a letdown, it's not a noon kick. It's a 7 o'clock start under the lights again. I think everybody that yeah. went to the game last week enjoyed being in that atmosphere. So even though it's not an opponent that you know typically would elicit a lot of excitement, I think fans want to – kind of relive some of that that hype that they had yeah. from last weekend one more rapid fire tennessee hosts utsa peter burns road runners uh one beep, week beep. From, one week from today are we talking about tennessee scuffling on offense against a lesser opponent again or are we saying like man that was what we've been looking for uh, utsa is not the team i thought they were going to be this year they've already got two losses i truly thought they they would be the maybe a group of five representative in the new york uh new year six they're not that i think tennessee's fine they'll get back on track well i i don't know that they're going to lose the game but until they can start doing the simple things throwing catching and and blocking those are pretty simple things. yeah to throw the ball accurately catch the football <laughs> when you have a chance and block the guy you're supposed to yeah i'm not so sure we don't look at their offense as just right. you know muddling another week look and i said it in the, in the preseason and i caught some flack for it of of the teams that we were talking about and of the quarterbacks that we talked about joe milton had the uh, an opportunity to be fraudulent he did to the standard that we had built of him yeah, he looked very good at the Manning Passing Academy, throwing in how far he did, but you got to put it all together. Now, not all of this falls on him. He's a quarterback, so he's going to catch a lot of strays. Yeah. As a team, they've got to do better. I believe in Josh Heupel. I believe in his offensive system, but they've got to get it figured out quickly or it's a big slide. I'll say this, Hess. You know, there were times that my teams in the 90s, 
you know, the players that were, were in the fun and gun were labeled as system players, whether you're talking about quarterbacks, whether you're mm-hmm. talking about receivers, your products of the system, you're putting up big stats because of the system. Well, what you're seeing this year is what the system does when you don't have the right players to run that system. Mm-hmm. But God is Hendon Hooker. God is Jalen Hyatt. God is Cedric Tillman. And you're seeing those positions struggle to the point you're not seeing the same rhythm or production. Like this team averaged 49 points a game on offense. They scored 16 on Saturday against Florida. One thing, just real quick on Missouri before we dive into the SEC battles. We talked about them before in last call, but they host Memphis. Not even host. It's in St. Louis. It's a, it's a neutral site game. Yeah, uh, We talked all last week about how that was the biggest game of Eli Drinkwitz's yeah. tenure. They win it. Now they're 3-0 and against 3-0 and Memphis, 7.30 p.m. on ESPNU. Is this now the biggest game of his tenure, or did you see what you needed to see from them last week and you're just cool with a hard-fought game, that's cool, or do you need to see them win again? No, I think you got to see him win again. And, you know, he actually called out the fans, too. You know, showing up in St. Louis, you showed up in Como, you supported the team an 11 a.m. start that they desperately needed that support and home field advantage. Now show up in St. Louis. So, you know, if you're going to ask a lot of your your fans, you got to ask the same of your your team, and you got to ask the same of your coaches. I thought Kirby yeah. Moore did a great job of play calling. They were aggressive. They were creative. They let Brady Cook make make plays. I want to see that. They let same him cook. Level. It was right there for you. They let him cook. I mean, they let him cook. They let Brady yeah. Cook cook. But yeah. I thought the same was true on defense. Blake Baker. They brought pressure anytime. Yeah. You, know, you saw him having some success early. They started heating him up, and and that's where they had you know more of the ability to to disrupt some of the rhythm that uh, Howard the quarterback had. So um, I want to see that same level of aggressiveness this week against Memphis. Yeah, quickly, Hennigan, the quarterback, and they've got Watson, a running back for Memphis, two talented players, two guys that can go out there and be successful. You can't let them be successful. Missouri, you had the biggest win so far for the SEC. You got to go out there and have another performance and follow that up. That's how you build a program. That's how you become not just like a little nice story. Oh, man, cool. They beat Kansas State. That's how you become like maybe in the conversation of fighting to to get to the point where we're talking about you in the same vein of some of those teams trying to catch Georgia, like Tennessee and Florida, the teams trying to catch Alabama for so long, and LSU and Ole Miss. You want to get into that conversation? You got to take care of business in games like this. You got the biggest win of the conference slate. If you lose to Memphis, is it the biggest loss of the, the conference season so far? Probably so. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think so. Yeah. Don't let that happen. All right. We got uh, two 12 p.m. Eastern kicks. Uh, let's go to that 11 a.m. local in Nashville, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. When Vanderbilt was sitting there at 2-0, and looking at Wake Forest, UNLV, Kentucky, Missouri, who seemed gettable, Florida yeah. seemed gettable. It was feeling pretty good. Then they dropped two in a row. And now it's Kentucky, Missouri, and Florida, who were feeling completely different ways about two weeks later. So this is a really big one for Vanderbilt at home. It's also the first test, I guess, for Kentucky. We, we're still not exactly sure what they're working with. We've liked it so far. But 11 a.m. Central kick in Nashville. What are you thinking? Um, and who's we got a 13 and a half, 13 half favorite yep. for Kentucky. What, what are you thinking in this one? I, I'll say this, Hess. Um, first and foremost, if Vanderbilt wants to be competitive, they got to stop turning the football over. They're not a good enough team to make the mistakes that they did against Wake Forest or the mistakes they made against UNLV on Saturday night out in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, they beat Kentucky last year, and 
you know, this Kentucky team so far has left me feeling a little empty. You and I were both high on, on what yeah. Devin Leary was going to be able to do with Liam Cohen. And, and, you know, Ray Davis has been one of the real consistent bright spots of this Kentucky team. You're still seeing protection issues up front. You're still seeing penalties. You're seeing drop balls, missed throws. At the end of the game, you go back and you look at Devin Leary's numbers and he's throwing three or four touchdowns a game, but it just doesn't feel that gratifying as you're watching it. It's time for Kentucky to put together a complete 60 minutes and no better team than to do it against than the one that you let get away last year and allowed Vanderbilt to get their first SEC win in years. I know that has to be frustrating for Coach Stoops, the fact that yeah, at the end of the day, like you're winning these games, you're putting up stats, but it doesn't look clean. It looks clunky. And like you said, CD, there's not like four quarters of football. And there's been some games. I mean, Eastern Kentucky was one of the worst tapes I've watched so far yeah. this year. It just didn't show up at all. And guys that I know are playmakers, you can't play down to your opponent. Now, Kentucky has played up to their opponent in a couple of games over the last couple of years, which is great to see, but you can't play down to your opponent. Yeah. Kentucky, you're a two-touchdown favorite on the road. Go win by two touchdowns. Go be dominant. Go win this game. Go show that you are the team we thought you could be in the offseason. Vanderbilt, right now, they just lost on the road to UNLV, right? They didn't show up against Wake Forest in the second half. They're a team that can be got. Go get them. All right. Um, If you're looking up and down this slate, there's no way you can make a real argument that Ole Miss, Alabama is not just the best game. No, that's why we just talked about it for 20 minutes with Ben Mintz. But I, I would hear out an argument that Auburn A&M is, is, is just as good of a game. because I'm Well, so it's just it's struck. important for, for both narratives of both like, teams, yeah. Like I just said, like Kentucky, we haven't really seen that test yet. Auburn, we saw against Cal. I mean, if you were, if you were awake, which obviously we all were, dedicated. Yeah. But this is a big one. Kyle Field and then Texas A&M, we're trying to figure out if they're the boy who cried wolf after two, after three weeks, like – are they legitimate? Can they get in? West is wide open. So if AM wins this at home over Auburn, they're right back in that mix. If Auburn's 4-0 with a win in College Station, they're in that mix. Um, AM's seven and a half point favorite. How do you how do you think this one goes? Has that that's the problem with this game is that we really don't know what to believe about either of these teams. We've seen things that we feel really good about, like Texas AM's offense, specifically Connor Wegman and what he's done to start the season. We've seen Auburn's defense look fantastic through the first three games of the season, but then we see things that that we don't like. A and M secondary against Miami. Watching you know Auburn turn the football over multiple times down in the red zone. I don't necessarily believe in their quarterbacks or receivers for that matter. So one of the things that I think that you have to be able to try to exploit if you're going to beat Texas A and M is that secondary. And I don't think yeah. the matchup's good for for Auburn because of the quarterback play being limited. And the receivers being average at best. I, I think that's a position that you uh Freeze is going to look to upgrade significantly in the offseason. I, I go back to the quarterback. I don't know why Spencer Sanders didn't choose to go to Auburn. I mean, Spencer Sanders came down to Auburn and Ole Miss. He's largely yeah. going to be sitting behind Jackson Dart the entirety of the season. I would have loved to seen him in that Auburn offense under under Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery. But forget about that. This year's team, I don't think it's a good matchup for Auburn. Uh, because I just don't think they do the things that are going to be able to take advantage of of where yeah. Texas A&M's dis- uh, discrepancies are. Yeah, when you look at the receiver room for Auburn, that place um, has had some really good ones in the past, but it feels like it's been a long time since they've had that, hey, this guy's going to go take over the game, right? And you need that, but now with this room, I think you're just looking for somebody that can have big moments within a game, not even take over the game. 
I mean, you got Jay Fair right now, who's a leading receiver with 174 yards. I mean, you heard it in Hold My Beer segment. I mean, Malik Neighbors had 239 last week. Yeah. And we're talking about 174 leading your team after three weeks. Peyton Thorne's a leading rusher on this team, CD, with 140 yards. Like, that's not even his game. Now, credit to him. He's gone out there and done that. But offensively, can can they, if it gets into a shootout, like, because Miami A&M, that's kind of what that was. I mean, seven over 70 point score in that game can can Auburn do that right now I don't I don't think that they can and, and Peyton Thorne hasn't been bad I think he's been efficient at times I mean he's not really getting the ball in the end zone to your point the red zone offense he's thrown for more yards than it would probably say as far as successful trips to the red zone the yards kind of are, are misleading there but if I'm Texas a and I, I am daring them to turn this into a track me which sounds weird saying that for Texas A&M but I think their best players on offense, obviously Wegman, a quarterback, but the receiver room is probably where they have their most depth. How about the receivers too? Another receiver steps up today. Walker goes over a hundred yards to compliment what uh, uh, Anaya Smith did uh, also going over the century mark. Yeah. It's an embarrassment of riches when you talk about the wide receiving core for Texas A&M. And I, I think, you know, there's a, a real chemistry uh, and rhythm uh, developing uh, in the offense and and that rapport between the quarterback Connor Wegman and those wide receivers in that group. Yeah, I think I like AM in this matchup. I, I think it favors them. I think where Auburn's at right now, and Auburn is probably a step ahead of where people had them. And defensively, I think certainly they're not far away from winning a game like this on the road, but I just don't think they're there yet. All right, let's talk about that game that Mincy is actually going to be at your LSU Tigers. Yeah, I'm going to be there too, Big Turban. Just chop liver here on the podcast. I mean, that is the most assumed <laughs> thing of all time. If anybody's coming here, they're saying, "Wow, I'd like to hear Mitzi." Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Going to Alabama, Ole Miss, but no, yeah. he will be in Baton Rouge. I guess the way I'll set this one up is: uh, is LSU 17 and a half points better than Arkansas? Yeah, that's a large number, CD. That's a big number in, in a game in which you and I talked about it on off campus earlier in the week. That is just a game that Arkansas always shows up for. They always do. Ranked, not ranked, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. That's always a close game. At least it feels like it's always a close game. Last year, LSU was a much better team last year. Yeah. That was a dog 13, fight. 13-10, right? 13-10 yeah. was the final? I mean, mm-hmm. it was, well, it was Harold Perkins 13, Arkansas 10 yeah. in that game. I mean, it was a real struggle for LSU to get out of Fayetteville with a victory. They did, but that's what this game is. And so I'm not even looking at the line i'm just looking at can lsu offensively continue to be highly efficient defensively horrible run fits in the first two weeks short everything up last week had a couple new players in there true freshman Whit weeks got his first start in his first sec game that looked much better against mississippi state a team that had been running the ball extremely well with woody marks to that point so i think they're they're going to have advantages in this game. I think LSU wins this game. I don't know about by 17 and a half. Again, that's just a large point spread in a contest that's usually pretty close. I mean, yeah, you're going to have a blowout here and there, but for the most part, I mean, at least when I was in school and in the years leading into the last couple, I've been close battles. So I think LSU has the advantages there. It would take KJ Jefferson having one of his better performances, I think. And we still don't know the status of Rocket Sanders. That's what I was going to say. It's Wednesday night that we're recording this. I don't know that we've had an update on on his availability. I think largely the run game has been a little disappointing to me. I mean, that's one of the the bread and butter cornerstones of the Sam Pittman uh, team over the last couple of years. AJ Green has that big run to, to start the game off against BYU. And I, 
I, I think that's one of the things we haven't talked about is just how disappointing that BYU loss was. I mean, you're, you're up 14, nothing after a long uh, run from AJ green and a, a punt return for a touchdown stakes you that two touchdown lead. You, you, you even have a, a, a 10 point lead late in the third quarter and you yeah. give up 17 unanswered to lose that ball game largely because KJ Jefferson throws a horrible interception that, that yeah. sets up BYU's offense in a, a short field situation. So I need to know whether Rocket Sanders is going to be back. I, I need right. to see the offensive line block better in the run game. But honestly, it's another matchup that I don't think is very good because the storyline last year for Arkansas was how bad they were in the secondary. They looked mm -hmm. better in the first two games of the season, but BYU kind of had their way throwing the football with them. Uh, and I think that you look at what what developed in Starkville last week, that rhythm being, feeling back between uh, the, the quarterback and his receivers and what uh, neighbors was able to do. Uh, Lacey had a big catch as well. Like I, I feel like uh, Brian Thomas, those guys, they mm -hmm. had, they made some plays again. So I think, you know, if Arkansas is going to stay within that 17 point number, it's going to be because the secondary plays a lot better than they did against BYU. 47% of the time, Arkansas plays cover one. A lot of our listeners listening right now, you know what that means, but if you don't, it is man across the board with one single high safety. Here's the deal. You're counting on your corners and safeties to cover that LSU receiver room that CD just talked about. And also LSU doesn't attack the middle of the football field very often. So cover one is really good about stopping like a dig route over the middle of the football field. Well, LSU doesn't try to really attack that area. Can they switch it up? Will they switch it up? Because they've been a team again, 47% of the time in one coverage in three yeah. weeks, that's who you are. That's your identity. If they do that, I think LSU has a lot of success on the outside with those receivers that we've talked about. All right, two more here. Um, I think through three games, South Carolina is my favorite. Just no criteria, just my favorite. They're all over the place sometimes. From nine sacks against North Carolina to going into the halftime with a lead over Georgia yeah. and Shane Beamer just straight up saying, we're kicking their asses. I love um, they're hosting Mississippi State. Williams Bryce yeah. at night. It's going to be electric. Um, they're both 0-1 in the SEC now, though. So somebody's yeah. getting on the board. Somebody's falling to 0-2. To so this is a pivotal uh, East-West matchup, 7.30 p.m. on SEC Network. Cox favored by six and a half points. What do you think? Big term. Uh, I, I, I called for accountability earlier. Yeah. I need to go back and bring some accountability because I thought South Carolina was was a sitting duck for what Georgia was going to be able to do to their offensive line after watching the struggles in week one against North Carolina. They did a great job of kind of changing the game plan. A lot of some, some quick short passes. They were able to negate some of the pressure. Yeah. Uh, the offensive line did block better to the point that you saw uh, Georgia, you know, kind of change up what they were doing. A lot of the pressure they got in the second half came on a lot of uh, twists and stunts uh, on the defensive line. So I, I, uh, I, I give them credit and we shouldn't have doubted them has like, Shane Beamer, one of the best at rallying his squad. You know, you go back to last year, that yeah. South, that South Carolina, Florida game was probably the low point for the game Cox. Yeah. And they come back after that and find a way to win in successive weeks against Tennessee and Clemson. So we should have known that they'd, they'd had him ready to go, but I, I, I didn't, didn't give him credit. And for that, I apologize. Well, look, they're a peaks and valleys program right now. There's certainly valleys within the program, and the Florida game is is one that you can kind of point back to. But those peaks, and I put it out there on Twitter, they be peaking. Yeah. I mean, they are high peaks. Yeah, that's just what South Carolina. When you count them out, 
they go have a performance like they had. Now they couldn't figure it out in the second half. They got a little gassed. And Georgia did a really nice enough. job. Yeah, they don't have enough. On either line, they don't have enough. And, and even playmakers-wise, you know, it would have been nice to have Juice Wells the entirety of the game. The yeah. ironic part is that he's feeling great before the game, playing well, gets an early screen that he takes to the house and breaks his foot on a on a touchdown yeah. run. Uh, would have been nice. To, I, I, I wanted to see those guys with Xavier Leggett uh, playing as well as he is right now and and being able to, to kind of compliment what Juice can do when he's healthy. I would have liked to have seen that. But you're right. They kind of just ran out of gas and ran out of real playmakers. Yeah. Spencer Rattler, though, tough as hell. Well, like that guy, that guy has has turned me into a huge fan of his. Yeah, I, I've gained so much respect for him this year. The way that he's kind of put the team on his back. They have no semblance of a run game whatsoever, no. and, and they're able to still, you know, be competitive. And so I I give him credit for his toughness, his resiliency, his leadership. Um, I think he's matured a lot from the guy that we saw come into to to Norman, Oklahoma, a few years back. Yeah. But um, when you if you had to rank the quarterbacks in the SEC right now, where where would Rattler be on that list three games in? He probably, I mean, three or four, three or four. I mean, I think what Jackson Dart and Jaden Daniels are doing, I still have them. Connor in, Wegman's ahead of in of, whatever of, order one two. Well, Rattler and, and Wegman would be. Like three or four, I, yeah. I think. I think. Well, I mean, any combination. Uh, I mean, we could play it out a, a million different ways. I think Rattler's four, probably. I, closer to four, probably. Yeah, than three. If you yeah. ask me, yeah. I mean, Connor Wagman, he's he's done some big things. I I know that they're not undefeated by any means, and I know some of that's going to fall on the quarterback. But you watch the tape; he's playing yeah. his, you know what, off. Hey, and since we're talking quarterbacks, let's let's stay on that that theme with Will Rogers. I mean, he was one of the top quarterbacks returning in the league this year. You made a great point last week. Just didn't really look comfortable in this offense. Mm-hmm. What did he throw for 39% completions, I think, on, on Saturday against LSU's defense? The plan's simple. The plan for LSU was simple. The plan for the rest of the season is simple. For South Carolina, stop the run. Stop yep. the run and force Will Rogers to beat you in a passing game that he doesn't feel comfortable in, that's limited with playmakers as vertical threats down the field. Uh, the offensive line largely was recruited to be a uh, an air yeah. raid style, trying to transition into a little more physical pro style attack. Clayton White's defense this week is just you know they got to they got to win win up front in the run game, and then pin your ears back and go get Will Rogers. They were able to sack him last week. LSU was four times, created a, a bunch of pressure on him. I, I think the blueprint's been laid out by your Tigers, and I think South yeah. Carolina's going to try to replicate this week. Yeah, I was an LSU team that only had one sack coming in. They get four in that game. Will Rogers, 11 to 28, 103 yards, 3.7 yards, an attempt, 7.6 QBR, no touchdowns. I mean, we're talking about one of the guys that was about to set every SEC record might end up on the bench for Mike Wright just because the offense and how it's ran, it just does not fit who he is, who the offensive line is. Like I give Woody Marks credit because he's out there making plays, but Man, that, that it was almost painful to watch. It was painful yeah. to watch, like Will Rogers, a guy that we respect so much, a guy that's made so many plays in the SEC, just go out there and look helpless. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the worst offensive performances as a team that we've seen over the last couple of years in the SEC. Yeah, he looked like almost a broken man, and and he really and the did. Way he was out there, so um, anxious to see if they can get it back on track. Zach Arnett was very pointed with his criticism and in, in all phases. And, um, you know, he's, he's kind of a no nonsense yeah. dude. So I expect them to take some accountability and, and anxious to see how they make some corrections this week. Yeah. All right. The game of the week talked about it with Mincy for a good 15, 20 minutes. 
number 15 Ole Miss at number 13 Alabama. When this thing opened up, it was like nine and a half, ten. I believe that's where Jacob Hester grabbed it. Yes. Um, then it started coming down a bit. I got it at seven and a half as we sit here on Wednesday night, six and a half. It's obviously in favor of Alabama. Do need to clarify that based on how things have been going. Yeah. Um, because it's Alabama, it seems impossible that they wouldn't just go out there and cover at home. But based on how we've seen them play, it seems impossible. But they, they could cover seven against Ole Miss. So as we head into this game, Alabama favored by six and a half in Bryant-Denny. How do you think this one goes? All right. So a lot of first are been a long time things as well for Coach Saban this year. Over 7,000 days, they haven't had a, a double-digit loss at home. Well, now they have one, okay? That's almost a 20-year streak. First time in 128 weeks, they're not in the AP Top 10. That's going back to September of 2015. Now, both the times we're talking about, 03 National Championship at LSU, 15 in Alabama National Championship. And so I understand, like, holding on to that hope if you're an Alabama fan. But I say that to say this. Those teams still look different on tape. Yeah, like I still turn on 03 LSU, and I saw you know uh, Corey Webster out there playing corner, Marcus Spears playing edge rusher, Kyle Williams in the interior of that defense. I saw Michael Clayton on offense. I saw Matt Mock play quarterback. Turn to 2015 Alabama. I mean, we could go through player, 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 player. I don't see those same things on tape. Yeah, they have got to show a different style and a different mentality in this game if they want to have a chance. I, and I mean that. Last week was really the first time that I've ever seen a Nick Saban-led team play like that and not really be affected by their poor play. Like, go through the motions type things, and that's just not what you see from Alabama, from Nick Saban. And they if they show up and play even related to that performance that they had in Tampa last week, they'll get beat, and they'll get beat pretty easy. I mean, this is a team that has to ramp it up to an 11. You're at home. Yeah. You've got talented players. Now, settle on Jalen Milrow being your quarterback. Mm -hmm. Let him go out there and be the best version of himself. Tommy Reese, it's on you, buddy. Yeah. Figure out what he does well. Call that game plan within your skill set of players. You do that, you play to the level that you can with the mentality that you know you have to have to play for Coach Saban. You'll be okay. If you don't, oh, Ole Miss is good enough to beat you. No doubt about it. Yes, you're not an Alabama guy. I'm not an Alabama guy. You did play for Coach Saban. But if I were an Alabama guy, I would be embarrassed at the representation that these players have put on tape of what it means to put on that uniform. You mentioned it. There's no real sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. You know, we heard after the Texas game players saying we didn't have a good week of practice. We weren't focused. Like, how are you not focused getting ready for one of the biggest opponents on your schedule? Then you come back after a clunker. And you play even worse in a lot of ways against a team that's way below you from a skill set standpoint. Yeah. Um, the players only meeting that they had. I, I don't know about you. I hate players. I fucking hate player only <laughs> meetings. Like it drives me crazy that these guys are out here talking about, oh, we got together as a team. Who's the leader? Who's the leader in that yeah. locker room? The players only meeting that's that's deciding, you know, there's no Bryce Young in there. There's no Will Anderson. Dallas Turner's got a little, some swag, but like, where are these leaders that mm -hmm. didn't didn't get them right in practice when they were leading up to Texas? Like it, it, it's embarrassing. And if I were an Alabama alum that played that built that that dynasty there, I would be fuming mad. Yeah, you've seen some take to social media and be like, "This yeah. is not the team that I know. This is not the program that I know. I know how they're being coached every single day." Hey, players, Alabama, it's on you. You got to go out there and have a good performance. Again, 
This can do Ole Miss has won twice in in that in that building in Tuscaloosa. Okay. You don't think this means a lot to them? You don't think that they realize that they have an opportunity if they win this game, they're in the driver's seat of the SEC West. They've never been to Atlanta, right? It's a trip that you plan every single year. When you're making your yeah. schedule, you play for Alabama, you're on that staff, you say, Oh, you got a what that weekend? I, I can't go. I'm gonna be in Atlanta. We're gonna be in the SEC championship game. Well, Ole Miss has never been there, yeah. not one time. That would mean everything to those players, Which raises that program, the that coaching staff. If not now, win for uh, for yeah. Ole Miss. No like question. If, if you've won twice in Tuscaloosa in the history of your program, if not now, win. With as much blood yeah. as in the water right now, shark circling, if not now, win. I think it comes down to two things in the matchup, right? The offensive line for Ole Miss, I, I, I worry about their ability to hold up. Uh, they have not looked good on tape. They haven't run the ball consistently. You know, what will that look like? Uh, on and not only pass protection, but their ability to run the health of, of Quinchon Judkins. Um, can they get a little bit more balance there? They used a lot of Jackson Dart quarterback run stuff in the first half to build up, you know, some of the, the, the run uh, production that they had. And then secondly, what, what's Alabama secondary look like against, an, uh, you know, the uh, probably the best group of receivers cumulatively that they may see all yeah. year long the rhythm that Jackson Dart has, the relationship that he has with those guys. Do they get Trey Harris back? Yeah, they get the transfer from UTSA, who's finally eligible to play. There's going to be a lot of really talented wide receivers that are running out of a, a, a group that's been a little shaky in that back end for, for Alabama. Hey, Ole Miss, Alabama. This game is up, blinking on the marquee behind us. Play like that. Live up to that. Embrace that. This is a game that if you are the winner, again, like you are in a great spot in the SEC West, right? Because it feels chaotic. We're expecting it to be chaotic. The energy is all over the place, okay? You win this one, you're in the driver's seat. I hope that it is a game that lives up to all the hype. Uh, all right, Big Terp. We've pre-gamed. We've last called. We've held beers. Um, best bets. <laughs> do we have to go there? I mean, you know, I mean, I got this flag football team. I got to go coach. I mean, do we hey, really need to go sure. over it right now? I'll just recap. Uh, look, Go. here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm over. Okay. I haven't won a game since Moby Dick was a minnow. Okay. Yes. I have not been good at predicting the SEC this year. The SEC in the non-conference has let me down. I'll take the blame, but you've got to hold your part up as well. Okay. Now we're in conference play. Undefeated week. Yes. What's, the, what's the name of this segment? Best bets. No, no. The name of the segment is take it to the take bank. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. The bank's knocking I, on your door. There, It's repo time. Yes, we got to come for all that stuff. We we lent you money. We 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 had confidence in you. The bank is showing up, beating down the door, yeah. my friend. Time to turn the tide. Get back on track, right? If not now, when? Right? <laughs> this is the week. Same thing I said to Ole Miss. Same applies to you, my friend. Oh, week four, having the uh, challenge of getting mm. back to five hundred is a nice baked-in mm. contest. Uh, CD's four and five. Hess is uh, hey. or other. I'm four over. I have not won. I have not won a game. Three and a week, and 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 I hated last week that we were going against one another. I took Missouri, you took Kansas yeah. State. One of us was due to win. Luckily for us, the SEC team. I did went win. against the conference because I had gone with the conference and lost. I went UL Monroe to cover against A and M because I figured, well, hell, I got to. I went under in Vandy and UNLV. I didn't know that they <laughs> were going to have the the running revs running up and down the field against <laughs> Vanderbilt. Tarkanian, Tarkanian, his boys were out there on that uh, football. <laughs> Had Larry field. Johnson, Grandma Mai, out there scoring touchdowns. <laughs>
All right, that, that's enough of that segment. We'll put our best bets out there. You might want to fade me, but I'm going three and zero. Okay, no, I'm just letting you know. I'm going. Week. I'm going three and zero. We'll put those out there sometime Friday night, hopefully, probably Saturday morning, because Doring and I have a bad memory. Big Turp will stay on top of us. Okay. Hey, better Hess, bets, better times ahead. Hess, I, I think we do need to congratulate. Like it's virtually impossible to go Thank nine you. and zero. It's also virtually impossible to go zero and nine. So you did something amazing but here's the great part about it we're in vegas we're looking across the casino it's mm-hmm. been nine blacks in a row it's got to be red this time let's go it's this is the week let's put it on red load up red 18 loaded up let's go get a winner that's going to do it for this week four edition of pre-gaming the sec my god the slate is beautiful i mean it brings a tear to a glass eye i cannot wait to be back next week pre-gaming with you we appreciate you tuning in Chris Doring, Big Terp. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place.